Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we've been systematically discussing many of the common fears that hinder our freedom and living out the call God has placed on our life. You've heard me say, and I'll say it again, life is much too short and we have too much to do, too many hearts to heal and lives to change for any of us to live enslaved. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery, and I'm an author, a speaker, a ministry leader who's passionate about living in Christ's freedom and doing all I can to help others do the same. Today, I have an awesome and brilliant guest with me, a man I personally have learned so much from, Dave Montoya from the North State Community Church in the Chino, California area. Hi, Dave, thank you for joining us. Hey, Jennifer, good to be here. Dave came out of the unhealthy side of the Jesus movement in the 1970s and the 1980s. He studied philosophy and apologetics. He spent years serving in college outreach in Dublin, Ireland. He was a college pastor for 10 years and a pastor of adult discipleship for 16 years. He helped develop an incredible evangelism course, a gentle, relational, and respectful approach to sharing Jesus. It's titled The Storytellers Workshop, which you can access online. So contact me through my website, Jennifer Slattery Lives Out Loud, and I'll send you a link. He is currently co-pastoring a new church, like I said, in the Chico, California area called the North State Community Church. He's married with three grown kids, and he's someone that my husband and I both admire greatly. He and his wife, LaShawn, have a way of transforming culture in a good way and inviting deep conversation, which is precisely what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be discussing something that can make many people uncomfortable, and that's doubt, Christian doubt, those nagging, unanswered questions that tend to rise up when we're afraid, when we're discouraged, or life becomes difficult. Now, if you listen to my introductory episode where courage is found, you remember me saying our fears often reveal what we truly believe about God, his nature, and his ability and his desire to care for us. But we don't always realize the theological statements our fears might be making and the doubts that they reveal. We tend to feel on a surface level. And we've become adept at distracting ourselves and numbing ourselves. And I think perhaps when doubts hit, we may look around and see everyone else's filtered hallelujahs and feel like we are the only ones who struggle. Dave, I would love to know your thoughts on that. One of the things about doubt is is I think that a lot of people that are experiencing feel like they're alone. They Mm -hmm. think that they're the only ones. And you said that well. Whether other people are having the doubts or not, the public face is one mm-hmm. of, we all believe, we all have faith, we all, we're all good here. And if you're feeling doubt, you feel isolated. There is a quote I love by Tim Keller, and it says, a faith without some doubt is like a human body without antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do, find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, 
which should only be discarded. I love this part, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Is that how we tend to deal with our doubts? Do you think? Keller, you know, uh, does the antibody analogy. I similarly, I, I like to think of doubt. Doubt is to the mind what pain is to the body. Mm. Um, and so it's, it, it's the same thing because pain usually isn't really the, the cause. It's not really the root thing, but it points you to it. And mm. similarly, when we ignore pain uh, and, and make pain the issue, we'll do anything we can to make the pain go away. Uh, but we will, you know, take painkillers or do whatever, but not actually deal with the underlying mm. cause. And when doubt's the same way, it's not actually the problem. Mm-hmm. It's pointing to a problem. And when we ignore it, stuff it, take sort of mental painkillers, which there are many, mm-hmm. uh, we end up, like he's saying, over the years, we let the cancer or whatever it is grow, and it can cause a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? What kind of damage would you think it... it- what do you it, mean by that? Uh, well, again, because the what doubt is is really just a gap. It's a it's a it's sort of a, sort of a splinter in the mind, or a, it it's our mind's way of telling us that there's a dissonance between what we believe and how we're experiencing reality, or or mm. between two sets of beliefs. They're not matching up, and in this world, you know, to live in reality, things need to match up, and when they don't match up, there's going to be trouble ahead. You know, if I, and, and I guess to, you know, when we live in, it's basically a form of denial. And when we live in denial, it's going to cause problems down the road. So, um, and, and that can hap- happen in many different ways. What, I guess to be specific, when we were little children, we get, we, we get sort of a childhood faith, a childhood mm-hmm. understanding of things. It doesn't mean that what you were told as a child was false. It's mm-hmm. just, it's just a, a six-year-old Sunday school level. It's mm-hmm. not adequate to meet the challenges of mm-hmm. adult life. And so that's an area where all of a sudden this, this faith I have or this understanding I have of God and life and Christianity, it's not holding up under the, the adult challenges. And so it, it can start to affect, uh, cause me to either lose my faith or mm-hmm. sideline it or look to other, other things. Can it hinder our intimacy with Christ, do you think? Yeah, because uh, take it like again. Think about it relationally. If I'm in a relationship, you know, with a person, and again, think think gaps. Think, mm-hmm. think things don't line up. I I don't know. I'm dating somebody, and then I'm and then I look and I see. I look across, or I'm walking through town, and I see them talking to somebody else. You know, like another mm-hmm. guy, and all of a sudden, and they look like they're having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden doubt creeps in. Now mm-hmm. I'm thinking, wow, maybe, maybe they like them. And so there's doubt. I'm, 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 I'm contrary beliefs. Does mm-hmm. she like me? Does she mm-hmm. like them? And is it going to affect my relationship with them? Absolutely. If I act on those doubts mm-hmm. next time I see them, I'm probably going to be kind of cold or a little suspicious, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's going to affect the relationship. And because I'm believing things about them, let's say that's a false belief. That's just, that's their cousin, let's say. Well, that false belief um, now affects how I view who they are and their character. I think, oh, they're two-timing me or, or I'm thinking falsehoods. For example, with God, he's not trustworthy. He's not, you know, mm-hmm. because look what happened here. So, you know, it depends on the particular doubt, but it calls into question the character of God. And I think sometimes... We're afraid in the Christian community, at least I have experienced this, 
we're afraid to share our doubts with others. That can feel to me very uncomfortable. Yeah. And yeah. why do you think that is? Any faith community has a catch 22 and that is that you know believing is considered the ideal, trusting, believing. And so when we have a doubt, we feel like we're betraying. There's something inside us that mm-hmm. feels that we're less than, we're, mm-hmm. there's something mm-hmm. wrong with me. And again, using the, <clears throat> the medical analogy, we don't, when we have pain, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about their, their medical issues. Mm-hmm. And, but the doctor's going to say, you need to talk about it. You need to tell me, you need to tell me where it hurts. And so, so it's a, it's a, like we said, like you kind of alluded to the beginning, it's isolating. You feel like you're, there's something wrong with you. The ideal is oh, ha- that you have, that you believe. Mm-hmm. you have some level of confidence. And so you feel like you're going to be looked down on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, if I express my doubts, uh, the person next to me, my doubts might have some merit, freaks them out. And mm-hmm. they don't really want to think about that. They don't want to doubt. They don't want to feel it. So you bringing it up is giving them pain. And so the, mm-hmm. they want to quickly, as quickly as possible, put that down, You know, mm-hmm. make that go away. So you don't feel like you're being received or empathized with, you feel like you're being boxed up. Yeah. And do you think it also can trigger people's fear? Like I'm thinking specifically with children or, you know, when my daughter, when she was in her teen years, now she she has an engineering mind. And so she will pick everything apart, every little aspect. And, and that's enjoyable to her. Like it's not frightening. It's not, it's just the way, the way her brain works and the way her faith works. And I, as when she was a kid, I had to constantly remind my, well, God constantly reminded me that this was a journey for her. In fact, at one time I, I sensed him saying to me, she was, she was asking really hard questions and it felt like she was really contradicting everything I had taught her. And she really wasn't. She was investigating it and asking her questions. But he said to me, where were you at 17? Mm. And that was a powerful statement. But my point being, I was afraid. One, I didn't know the answers to everything she was asking. And I was afraid that I was going to lose her. Well, any kind of emotional pain too, like if somebody's lost a loved one, you know, people are uncomfortable in situations where they can't fix it. And what they ought to do is the last thing they want to do. You know, the Bible says, mm-hmm. weep with those who weep. And and I think a way of saying it is sort of doubt with those who doubt. Enter into mm-hmm. that, that. What they need is empathy. They need to know that, that they're not crazy. Their questions are legitimate. Um, doubt isn't just an intellectual problem. It's in, there's an intellectual component to it for sure, but um, it, there's a there's a social and emotional component. It's very troubling to them. Um, and well, someone who's wired like your daughter, you know, they may not be getting all emotional about it, but their brain is there. They 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 can't tolerate the dissonance. Mm-hmm. They're like, I'm gonna figure this out. Right. You know? Right. And so. Um, to, to validate that mm-hmm. is to empathize with it, to say, this is a good thing. This is a mm-hmm. good thing that you're doing it. But you're right. We, we fear that if we entertain it, it's just going to produce more of it. And eventually they're going to, because they're questioning, we think they're two steps away from rejecting. So mm-hmm. we try to get them away from the questioning, thinking we're getting them closer to Jesus when there's something inside them that says, 
this is, um, I can't embrace a faith that can't ask mm-hmm. these questions. And it, it, it's counterproductive. And yeah. from, from you as a person. Like, yeah. I, when, before I really was relaxing with her questions, and, and again, God had to really do some business with me, I was noticing in our discussions, there was tension between us. Yes. And, and I finally had to say to her in, in, at one conversation, I said, now I just want you to know, because I felt like as a mother, like I had this role, right? I was to teach her and I was to raise her and I was to train her, which in my brain translated, speak to everything she said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, answer every and, question, yes, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I, I just said to her one day, I said, I just want you to know that my listening to you does not mean I agree. Yeah. And she said, mom, I already know what you believe. Yeah, yeah. And that was such a piece to me to be able to say, and I have to remind myself of that periodically, that by listening does not mean agreeing. You're listening, you're relaxing. That conveys way more confidence, Mm -hmm. a a genuine confidence than having all the right answers. And and you're totally, you're so right. Like, like, and in 99% of the cases, that other person would say exactly that. If they could articulate it, they'd say, I know you don't agree. Mm-hmm. But the defensiveness, the mm-hmm. always having to have an answer, you know, like, you know, being mm-hmm. verbally say something, it comes off to people as, well, as you've already said it, it shows that there's a fear in us. It mm-hmm. shows an insecurity in us. Well, let's just speak on on our personal doubts as well. When you talked about trusting God, I went through a period. So I accepted Christ in a Good News Neighborhood Bible Club, and it was it was very real to me. And then we moved, and my church attendance was sporadic. I never really moved past salvation. Like I didn't have a con a clear. I had a false concept actually of who God was for a long time, and then when I became an adult. I was piecing together all of these things. And it was really a major worldview shift that God was doing in me. And I went through this time where I just, I knew Jesus was my way to salvation. I just wasn't sure I believed in scripture. And that I realized in my heart, like that was an important issue to me because at some point it, it, the question arose, well, if I don't believe in scripture, then what am I believing in? How do I know what I believe in? And how can I base my life on something I'm not sure of? And so I went through, it was actually a year long process, but for me, it was the most excruciating. Like there was one point where I'm just sitting on the edge of our bed and I'm crying. And poor Steve, you know, Steve, that's my husband, but poor, poor Steve, he looks, he's like, what's wrong? And in my brain, I couldn't tell him what was wrong. Because how could I tell him his wife is going to hell? Like that's in my in my brain, and and I was afraid of his rejection. One, and then two, I couldn't even verbalize. I think what was going on internally, and I really believed I was potentially investigating myself to hell. But yeah. when I look back and I unpack that, really, if you can't investigate yourself to hell, because if the truth isn't the truth, then there is no hell. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> and and I just kept telling myself during that time, and I would pray to God that he was loving and that he was good and that he would not fault me for honestly wanting to know him. And so I had to repeat that. And you'd brought up a, a point. You said, our, when we struggle with doubt, it's a really a, a struggle with God's goodness, right? And his character. Yeah. 
for for people who go through this, they they usually, well, they do. They find their their faith is is to use the example of the kid. They think they grow their faith up. They they get mm-hmm. a more robust. Um, and one of the big things is is just realizations. They, they go in with certain questions or certain particular doubts, and and like pain, it mm-hmm. leads them to deeper things. That mm-hmm. uh, it, one is the relationship between faith and reason. You know, they realize they can't get all the answers. You know, they chase mm-hmm. the and, and but that's a whole huge mm-hmm. philosophical you know um, issue that are you know out of the enlightenment that somehow if you think about something hard and long enough you can gain some sort of philosophical certainty and and that's an elusive carrot on on a a string but so what is the place of reason and what is the Mm -hmm. what is real faith versus blind faith and what is reason without rationalism Mm -hmm. you know and how these two work together and so it you start getting it it does it leads to a a more robust a more healthy view of of Mm -hmm. god and ourselves and the way the world actually works because the the simple stuff, the, the the child childish stuff, isn't it just doesn't hold up. Uh, I was just reading a quote by uh, G.K. Chester, Chesterton. He said, "Only the weak can be brave," and he said, "The strong can't be brave," mm-hmm. you know? and that's because the strong just rely on their strength. There's no mm-hmm. bravery, courage isn't ha- lacking fear. It's having fear but facing it and going mm-hmm. forward. And the person mm-hmm. who walks into their doubts is expressing a sort of bravery mm-hmm. and a certain kind of trust. I would say, you know, only the doubting can trust. Again, I'm not po- pushing a blind faith, but there's always, uh, uh, even in a relationship, there's that stepping, you know, making those mm-hmm. vows on the altar always requires an element of trust. Right. For me, it, it did come down to a little bit of choosing. Yeah. Because like you said, there, there's always counter arguments. And, and yeah. I read, there were certain things I read that it just made more sense. It was yes. more probable. And so like you said, I didn't have, like God didn't give me this big beacon. This is the way. Yes. And I had to say, okay, this is most probable. And then of course I had also adding in the example of changed human life and and my experience with Christ yeah. on a on a personal level but my daughter will often talk about how she she carefully examined the evidence and that that freaks people out and I'm not really sure why except for that I think sometimes this is my own personal perspective again raising an intellectual daughter in a highly emotive culture yeah I think, I think the the yeah. Faith culture can be highly emotive. Yes. And for people who are not wired as emotively, yes. it translates as you're wrong, you're bad. Yes. She probably, like, I have my most deep worship moments with usually my nose is in a book. You know? Amen. That's her. That is her. Exactly. Yes. And it's it, like, for her, it's the beauty of truth. It's, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus said in the way, the truth and the life, She the truth part. When she sees ideas and, and, and things come together and make sense, mm-hmm. that causes her to have a a, a, a wow moment, mm-hmm. you know, the aha, the, oh, wow, that's so beautiful, the way that mm-hmm. fits together. And people who aren't wired that way, you know, just think she's a, you know, pointy-headed intellectual mm-hmm. when I can, I totally get that, you know. But you're right, the evangelical church has placed, in America, has put so much emphasis on sort of a Damascus Road experience, sort of a, mm-hmm. an emotional or the conversion experience mm-hmm. uh, type mm-hmm. 
that that others feel like they're God's redheaded stepchild, you know, mm-hmm. um, not getting that. And it, and it's unfortunate because um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's not the norm. There is no normative way God reaches us, you know, according to who we are and mm-hmm. that's the way she is. And yeah. That's such a, a, a good point. She actually had a conversation in her high school year where she was really struggling with that. And, and, it was a very painful moment for her, a very hard conversation. Like she was crying in the conversation and she said to me basically, mom, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't see God in music. I see him in math. And I'm like, sweetie, that's beautiful. Like, I don't know who else would do that. (laughs) But, But like, and we had to have that conversation that God will talk with her differently. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, um, so I love that you address that, that we are unique individuals and just like yeah. we relate to our spouses yeah. differently than we do to our children. Of course, God's going to do the same with us. Now I want to talk about how we see in scripture, how God deals with our doubt, because I think that can give people comfort Yeah, yeah. when they're doubting. He meets us where we are. Um, there's a definite condescension, like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Mm-hmm. I mean that in a, he, he comes down mm-hmm. and we have to be careful with that because it, there's tensions you see in it. So God does meet us, but there is, our doubt does show our frailty. It does show mm-hmm. our, mm-hmm. we're not God. We don't know mm-hmm. everything. Uh, so he's, he's sympathetic to that, but he, he's also calling us upward, you know, mm-hmm. like I think Th- the Thomas story, you know, the mm-hmm. famous, that the, the doubting story, you know, we call him doubting Thomas, mm-hmm. poor Thomas, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so on the one hand, Jesus says, you know, Thomas declares, I won't believe unless mm-hmm. I see the wounds. And so he, Jesus shows up and says, go ahead, touch my mm-hmm. side, look my hands. And, and Thomas worships and he says, he kind of, there's sort of a gentle chiding or not a chiding, but like a, he, he says, you, you see because you, or you believe because you've seen blessed are those who don't see and yet believe he's, he's, he, he He's not saying, Thomas, you're bad, that you wanted evidence. He gave mm-hmm. him evidence. Absolutely. But so he met him where he was, but he's also calling him higher and saying, you know, uh, you know, empiricism and rationalism ultimately don't save the day, you know, like, but I'll meet you there. You know, I'll meet you there, but I want to move you forward. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's how, and I think that's what most people who go through doubt find. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That the doubt that again they thought the pain was the problem the doubt can be excruciating you know mm-hmm. having that gap can be just so hard mm-hmm. but where they come out on the other end um just like other trials in life is, is they get drawn into deeper richer places they mm-hmm. don't just come out going oh i have great answers mm-hmm. you know i have this great bunch of intellect they come out with a deeper relationship Good. and 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 not to negate that. I mean, that's what, that's the process. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to put down the intellectual, the answers. It's just that there's more to us than just intellect. Mm-hmm. It, it's, we're whole people. And so mm-hmm. it ends up touching all these areas of life, but, but God meets us where our pain is, I guess. And mm-hmm. for Thomas, it was a intellectual pain. It was, I, mm-hmm. I can't believe this unless I see it. When I think a, another example that I love is John the Baptist mm-hmm. yeah. and why I love him is because yeah. he leapt in his mother's womb when Jesus, when when Jesus's mom approached, pregnant with Jesus, and he had to hear the stories of that. Like he just had to, right. and he 
heard the voice of God. He said, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He baptized Jesus. And then when he was imprisoned, he sent his disciples and said to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And this brings me a lot of comfort, this whole story. And and I think if we put ourselves back, there's a lot of people are puzzled by that. Like, because of the way you set it up. I mean, if anybody could be sure, it's John, right? Mm-hmm. And yet he may very well represent uh, like like what all the Jews were struggling with with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, that that in one sense, it, think of the dissonance, the, the, mm-hmm. the disconnect. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you know, he, there's all this evidence. On the other hand, he doesn't fit the he doesn't fit the profile. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't what you know John was saying. He's coming with his winnowing fork in his hand. He's gonna. You know, the axe the, is at the root of the tree. You know, the Messiah, he he likely was picturing a little more action, like on the mm-hmm. maybe the political front or, mm-hmm. or dealing with the religious leadership or, or, you know, purification, that kind of thing. And here comes this, 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 you know, carpenter. Of course, Jesus points him back to the scriptures and says, he points to what he's doing. The, the mm-hmm. lame are being healed, the blind are receiving their sight, and good news is being preached um, to the poor, which is... Which, he he grounds him back in mm-hmm. who the Messiah really is, but but points to these signs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, to point to that the kingdom is coming. So mm-hmm. that's what ends up happening is it always ends up correcting our view of God. It, mm-hmm. it gives us or correcting it or making it more full so that it's able to handle the data. Because what's happening is the data doesn't seem to be matching the belief. Mm-hmm. That's what creates doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, why? Do, oh, why is this? If God is good, why is this bad thing happening? You know, whatever. And mm-hmm. and so, Jesus was bringing the data mm-hmm. in, into um, harmony with with his beliefs. When I love how Jesus responded too is it then following and and I encourage our listeners to go find this. It's in Matthew eleven because we don't have time to really fully discuss it. But following, just listen to how he describes him. How Jesus describes John right after yeah. addressing his doubt in verses eleven through thirteen. He basically praises him. And to me, that is a lot of comfort. And we don't have a lot more time. So if you could give just a couple of resources for somebody who is really struggling with doubt, what would, where would you point them? Um, if they're, if they're a thinker, like your daughter, thoughtful people, and again, that's a wiring. I, I think that's kind of a wiring. Not everybody thinks that way. But one thing I think is very helpful is a book called The Myth of Certainty by Daniel Taylor. Okay. Thinkers have to be careful about the enlightenment and thinking that if they if they go look at apologetics and all that, that somehow they're going to take all their doubt away through reason. Mm-hmm. This explores that. And, it, and it's real encouragement for the thoughtful people. Mm-hmm. It says you're not weird. You're good. You're fine. But, mm-hmm. but don't make a god out of reason. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's a good, helpful book there. And then specifically on doubting, um, Oz Guinness has a book called God in the Dark. Who is that again? I'm sorry. Oz Guinness. Okay. Obviously, we didn't have a lot of time to address every doubt. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. if, if you're struggling or when you do struggle, because I think we all will, we just gave you a roadmap and maybe some peace to know that you're okay and that God, you just, just trust God. He will lead you through this day. Thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your insights with us. Absolutely. Yeah, good to be here. And thank you for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and then you can get future episodes directly downloaded. 
And I would also love it if you would rate it and if you would share it. And so again, don't be afraid of your doubts. Like Dave said, it really shows we have courage when we, we can embrace our doubts and they take us, if we embrace them honestly and with Jesus and investigate them, like Keller said, then it actually draws us to a deeper faith, a deeper confidence and a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the goal. So thanks so much for listening. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio, and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. God's Word will change our life, but sometimes it's hard to know where to start. Well, that's where I come in. I'm Jody Nisnik, host of So Much More, Creating Space for God, a scripture meditation podcast. And each week, I guide you through a scripture, giving you space to listen to the Spirit and pray about what's on your heart. Then we have a thoughtful conversation with guests to help us go deeper. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.